you're at the intersection of faith and fun. Welcome to the Hangout for Hope podcast. Now, here's your host, Pastor Aaron Lane. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hangout for Hope, your spiritual pick-me-up that's just the right amount of time for this moment in time. You're listening to Reverend Aaron Lane. I'm the pastor of Advent Lutheran Church here in Columbus, Ohio, on the corner of God, Government, and Golf. That's right, Kenny Road, 3660 Kenny Road, right here in Columbus, Ohio, Advent ELC, on your digital devices. This is Holy Week, and I really want to thank you for coming to this podcast, uh, especially because it's it's a special time. It's a special time to connect with God. Maybe you are connected with God a lot. Maybe you really take that scripture seriously where we talk about uh, praying without ceasing, which is awesome. But maybe it's been a while for you where you felt close to God. So today, and really this whole podcast is to help you with that, This uh, to help you if you're in close connection with God to, to continue that close connection. And if it's been a while uh, where you and where it seems like you and God have kind of synced up there, uh, maybe this will be a great way for you to uh, feel closer to God, maybe some ways to explore that. Tonight, we're going to talk about Monday, Thursday. Now, when I was little, I used to think that the day was called Monday, Thursday, which of course makes no sense whatsoever. But it's actually called Maundy Thursday, which also makes no sense whatsoever. Until you realize that the word Maundy originates from the Latin mandantum, which means a command or order. The gospel reading for Monday, Thursday recounts the Last Supper, when Jesus gathered with his faltering friends for a meal that tasted of freedom and how he got up from the table, tied a towel around his waist, and began to wash the feet of his disciples, and said that he gives us a new mandantum, a new commandment, to love one another as he has loved us. This is Christ's command, and that is to love one another. Now, before we get into a little bit more of the devotional part, I thought I'd give you a little interesting part about the history. Now, for many of us, when we picture the Last Supper in our minds, we picture probably Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. You know, that one that was in the Da Vinci Code, that one that uh, basically, you know, maybe your grandma had, um, you know, at somewhere uh, in, in her home, hanging somewhere, maybe your parents, maybe even you. But the Last Supper usually has Jesus right in the middle, and the disciples at a long table, you know, half on Jesus's right and half on Jesus's left. And and Da Vinci's painting is beautiful, and it's riveted the minds of the world for centuries. But this depiction of the Last Supper, like many others, is actually quite inaccurate when it comes to the actual setting of the Last Supper. I learned this when I was in uh, the Holy Land, Israel, uh, when I I was there just this past month in March of 2022. Now, because of these depictions, we often, again, picture Christ seated at the center of a long table with his disciples on each side. However, according to the ancient Roman and Jewish culture of the time, and several verses found in the Gospels, we find a much different setting. With this more accurate setting, we're able to learn uh, of a more powerful message of Jesus' true love. So let me break it down for you. It was Thursday. 
just before the setting of the sun. Jesus and the apostles had gathered in a large room on Mount Zion in the upper city of Jerusalem. Now the home probably would have been a wealthy home because it had an upper chamber and all of the preparations for the Passover feast would have already been made. The most prominent feature of the room would have been a low table in the shape of a U called a triclium. A triclium was a Roman style table of various sizes, you know, just like our kitchen tables are various sizes and different styles. But this tradition of the Romans had been adopted by the Jews of the first century. The table would have had large cushions, uh, maybe you could even call it a couch, uh, placed on three sides, allowing the middle to be open for entertainment and servers. The guests would lay on their left side facing the inside, leaving their right hand free to eat the meal. This would mean that each guest could lean on the bosom of the person to their left. Their legs would be toward the outside, allowing a servant to wash their feet as they ate the feast, similar to where uh, Jesus' feet were washed by the penitent woman in Luke chapter 7. So the host of the feast wouldn't sit in the middle um, like we have in our mind's eye. It's depicted, you know, in the Last Supper. But instead, the host, the main figure, would instead be second to the left, the guest of honor. Okay, So, so the host would be second to the left, the guest of honor would be on his left, and a trusted friend to his right. Interesting. You see, the seating then around uh, around this table, the most important guests were seated on the left. Then going around the table, the least important sitting on the far right. The servant, if seated at the table, would then occupy the last position, the one that's closest to the door, so that they could go and obtain, you know, more food as the evening progressed, you know, things like that. If this seating arrangement was followed by Jesus, and from the scriptures, it does seem to be the case, when Jesus was seated not in the center, then second from the left. If you read John 13, 23, okay, so if we go to John 13, 23, it says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Okay, so that indicates that John, because we know that usually when those gospels say the beloved disciple was John, it indicates that John was um, seated to Jesus's right. Okay, so all the way on the left-hand side of this U shape, if you think of the, the connecting part of the U at the top. Okay, so Jesus was all the way on the left, right? No, left. <laughs> Anyways, all the way on the left with John to his right, and John would have been the one right at the edge of the table. Now, John had to lean on the bosom of Christ to ask of the identity of the betrayer. In Matthew 26, 23, it indicates that Judas was seated to the left of Jesus in the seat of honor, as both Jesus and Judas were able to eat from the same bowl. And then in John 13, 24, it indicates that Peter sat across from John on the right side as he had the signal to, to John to ask Jesus who would betray him. So, this would mean that Jesus had placed the youngest apostle, John, on the side of eminence, while placing Peter, the chief apostle, in the seat of the servant. Pretty cool, huh? 
In fact, let me go ahead and read Luke 22, verses 26 and 27. It says this, But not so with you. This is Jesus talking. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Pretty cool, huh? I think so. I mean, really, at that point, to further teach Peter and the other disciples the importance of, of servant leadership, Jesus then washed the feet of the 12 disciples, including the feet of Judas. Peter, who Jesus had placed in the seat of the servant, was most likely responsible for washing the feet of the other guests, yet Jesus, the host, and the greatest of all, obviously, now acted as the servant and washed their feet. This would explain the protest of Peter in John 13 when Peter says, Lord, <laughs> you can't wash my feet. You can never wash my feet. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If I don't wash your feet, then you can have no part of me. And then he's like, well, not my feet, but, but all of me, which is a pretty good response, Peter. So this seating arrangement that we're talking about in the U shape with, with the connecting part of the U at the top of your mind, this seating arrangement would have mean that Jesus placed Judas, who would betray him, in the seat of honor. It seems that to that very end, Jesus loved Judas and desired to teach him of his love by placing him in the most important seat. It was as if Jesus was trying to give Judas one less reason to betray him. Jesus at some point gives Judas a, a piece of bread in the broth and yet another sign of honor. However, Judas had already made up his mind. He had already sold out for 30 pieces of silver. And we hear in John 13, 27, after he had received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, do quickly what you are going to do. And of course, we know the rest of the story with the Garden of Gethsemane. So that's a little background on the real seating arrangement that probably happened, which is different than our mind's eye, again, from the Last Supper of Da Vinci, but it does coincide with what the Bible teaches. Speaking of what the Bible teaches, on this Command Thursday, something's been on my mind this week. Something, I don't know, it's, it's just kind of encapsulated my imagination this this week and that is Jesus's command that we love one another as we have been loved by God as we have been loved by Christ and you know I mean I guess I don't have a problem loving others um, sometimes I do it is true I mean I'm a pastor right I'm supposed to love everybody but human beings I don't know if you've noticed this can be kind of difficult but uh, that's not really the hard part for me the thing I keep thinking about this week is how hard it is to be loved. You know, I, I, I love to give love away to others, but it's really tough sometimes to be loved, to receive it, to feel worthy of it, to not flinch when it's given. I mean, haven't you ever felt nice, but also a little weirded out when someone gives you a compliment in public? Sometimes it can be easier to give than to receive. So since we are to strive to be more and more like Jesus in our lives, I've been thinking about 
how Jesus received love. The Gospels tells us that Jesus had friends, in particular Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You see, they weren't his disciples, they were his friends. Perhaps they were friends with whom he could, I don't know, kind of relax. You probably have those kind of friends, right? Where you don't have to be school teacher, you don't have to be doctor, you don't have to be office manager, you don't have to be lawyer, you don't have to be pastor. I imagine Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, their home could be seen as a place where Jesus could be seen as Jesus, not rabbi or messiah. He could just be a guy. He could just be who he was. Maybe it was at his friend's house that they gave him a hard time. Maybe teased him a little bit. Loved him a lot. Not just to, for his work as a healer or a teacher, but, but just for being him. All of him. I like to think that he was loved in a really cool way as a friend at their house. Maybe they knew that he liked Coke rather than Pepsi and had that ready for him in the fridge. <laughs> Maybe that's why he went back there for a dinner party to Mary and Martha's house after he had raised their brother Lazarus from the dead. A dinner party that would just be five days before this Monday Thursday, the Passover night, the night where Jesus gave us a new covenant in his blood, a night where he washed the disciples' feet, a night in which he was betrayed. So go back there with me in your mind for a moment. There they were in the Jerusalem suburb of Bethany, and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus hosted a small gathering. I imagine with good food, great wine, amazing friends, there they were lounging at the table, finishing off the last of the hummus, and suddenly Mary comes in carrying a small jar of nard, a costly perfume traditionally used to anoint the dead. She carried this jar over to her friend Jesus, who she loved, and who raised her brother Lazarus from the grave. You know, the authorities sought to arrest Jesus after he raised Lazarus. After all, they just can't let him go on like that. Everyone would believe in him, and no one would believe in them. So the drama was building. That night, Mary carried some perfume over to her friend Jesus. This friendship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus cost Jesus more than his freedom. It cost him his heart. Remember that famous line, that famous verse that every confirmation student wants as their verse? Jesus wept because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Well, that was when he stood at Lazarus' tomb. He loved them. But they also loved him. We don't talk about that much. The way in which Jesus was loved. We speak of how he showed love, how he gave love, how he was love. But what about the way in which he received love? As Mary walked into the room carrying a jar, you could hear the pop of the cork removed and quickly begin to smell the perfume as it filled the room, infusing it with a, with a sad beauty. She loved him, as did Martha and Lazarus. They loved Jesus enough to, to cook for him, laugh with him, tease him, cry with him. And now, Mary would anoint his feet for him with the perfume she brought, knowing that he would soon be killed. See, she had seen death 
take Lazarus, and she knew it was coming for the one who raised him. Everyone got really quiet as she reached for the feet of her friend, covered them with the perfume, and wiped them with her unbound hair. I've wondered all this week, how did Jesus receive this love? Would he be like me? Was he hesitant, suspicious, resistant even? Was he needy, embarrassed? Did he try to get her to stop? Or did he receive this love with a heart that was open, knowing this was exactly what he needed to get through the last week of his life? I don't know. But I do know that five days later, on Monday, Thursday, Passover, when he was in Jerusalem reclining at the dinner table with his disciples, who were again finishing off the last of the hummus, when suddenly he carried a small basin of water over to Peter and the others. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end, the gospel says of that night. He washed their dry, dusty feet, and then he dried them with a towel that he had tied around his waist. I do not know how he received the love from Mary in the moment she offered it to him, but given what he did at dinner just five days later, I know that Jesus became what he received. Well, that's how it works, of course. You know, hurt people hurt people, and forgiven people forgive people, and loved people love people. But it doesn't make any it doesn't make it any easier to receive love well. Because it's hard to be loved. I mean, it seems like it wouldn't be. I mean, love me for my singing, fine. Love me for my sermons, I hope so. Love me for me? Just me? All of me? Everything that I am, good and bad? I don't know, guys. That feels kind of like a trap. I'd rather earn love in some way because I was good or because it was reciprocal or because the only reason someone loves me is because they don't really know me. But to be loved without condition for all of who I am, the good and the bad, kind of feels like a trap. Because it brings up all the ways that I don't feel worthy of it. It reminds me of the ways that I have loved poorly or not at all. But maybe it is by receiving it, by allowing ourselves to receive love, that we become loving. Maybe it is by receiving faith that we become faithful. Because if you want to give it, it has to come from somewhere. Jesus knew what was about to go down later that night. He kept telling them that he would be betrayed and denied and handed over to be killed. I mean, it all went down and Jesus wasn't like, man, I can't believe I washed the feet of those guys and they treat me like this. No, no, he knew it. He knew them, the good and the bad, and he still loved them. Just like you and me. He knows the good and the bad, and he still loves me. He still loves you. I give you a new covenant, 
Jesus said to the disciples that night, a new covenant after he had broken the bread and shared the cup that you do this. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I give you a new commandment. Jesus said to his disciples that night, I give you a new commandment after he had washed their feet. I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. I've always heard that as a command to be loving, and yes, it is that. But maybe we are also commanded to receive love as well, which is not always the easiest thing. But if everyone gave and no one received, the commandment would never be fulfilled. And yet we seem to only focus on how Jesus wants us to love others when in fact we are also the others whom Jesus wants to receive love. God says that you are worthy to receive love, holy love. And so on this Monday, Thursday, at the Lord's table, with the sacrament of Holy Communion that the Lord Jesus Christ gave on that very night, I pray that you would go to a church where you are called to come, taste, and see God's love in Christ, which we are all called to give and to receive. Let us love one another and let us become what we receive. Not because we are good, but because we are loved. Well, that's Hangout for Hope for this time for Monday, Thursday. I hope it was a blessing for you and to you. And I uh, hope to see you here at Advent Lutheran Church, either in person or online. Uh, details can be found at adventelc.org. And of course, on social media at adventelc. But until next time, this is Pastor Aaron Lane reminding you to take care and to give care. In the name of the one from whom all blessings flow. Have a wonderful week.